All Indians Matter. Hello and welcome to All Indians Matter. I am Ashraf Engineer. We have another very special episode. On the show is Barun Mitra, a thinker and writer whose key interest is to make the ideals of liberty, peace and prosperity socially and politically viable. He founded the Liberty Institute, an independent tank in New Delhi in 1996 and was with it till 2016. The Liberty Institute received the Templeton Prize for Social Entrepreneurship in 2003. In 2011, its Empowering India initiative to inform and encourage active citizenship received the Manthan Award for innovative use of ICT in governance in South Asia. Barun himself received the Sir Anthony Fisher Award in 2001, the Liberty Torch in the same year and the Julian Simon Award in 2005 for his writings on and advocacy of freedom. Early in 2019 he drafted the Farmers Manifesto for Freedom and is currently working with networks of farmers at the grassroots. Welcome to the show Barun. Hello Ashraf, thank you very much for having me. And thank you all for listening. Uh, today we are going to discuss the crisis in India's agriculture sector, the problem with the new farm laws, the sector's troubles down the decades and how all of this impacts you. Barun, agriculture production has risen consistently. Even exports have gone through the roof. Yet the sector is in crisis. So what exactly is the problem? Yeah, this is, you know, this is a paradox in the sense that uh, India has come a long way from the 1960s and 70s when uh, things were really bad. and there was a shortage of everything particularly related to food and uh, and in the 70s people would say that india would have to be probably written off given our large population that we'll never feed ourselves from those days from being a basket case today 50 years down the road india is actually a bread basket india probably ho- holds the largest um, grains that is rice and wheat in its stock anywhere in the world it's incredible that we have in fact in around june and july of this year the central government held around 90 million tons of rice and wheat that's more than three times what is typically needed for our public distribution system uh, annually so it's you know i mean it's very difficult to conceive where we were in the 1960s and 70s Uh, and where we are today in terms of our agriculture production and that is where the problem is now because our problem then was that we were suffering from shortages and scarcities our problem today is that the farmers are paying the price for abundance and uh, therefore from moving from production which was the goal in the 60s and 70s how to increase production today the question is how do we improve productivity how do we improve and add more value to agricultural produce so that farmers can get a better return than what they are getting currently so that is our our success an unbelievable success no one thought we would do be able to do it at that time in the 1960s and 70s and today where the ball is simply on the other side that we have so much we are struggling to figure out how do we improve our productivity and value addition yeah what i'm hearing barun is that you know we have huge surpluses uh, yet you there, there's a huge paradox like you said there is so much malnutrition in india despite the huge surpluses and also uh, you know 70% of farmers don't want their children to take up agriculture and why is this so yeah i mean uh, which actually shows that production 
ha- having adequate production is no assurance that uh, most indians will be well fed i mean it's really a sad commentary that um, 35 to 40% of our children are malnourished or underweight uh, whereas we have enough to feed the whole country a few times over and that is where the problem is that uh, that because we are producing so much and we are unable to distribute which means people who need it don't get it and uh, we are unable to figure out how do we add more extra more value to whatever we are producing through processing etc which means that farmers returns are now uh, stagnant or declining in fact uh, there has been consumption surveys by nsso in the last few a couple of years which distinctly shows that the consumption patterns have worsened particularly in rural india uh which means that the incomes have stagnated or have not risen or in some cases perhaps falling and therefore the question of poverty while it has improved a lot in the last 50 years but the last 10 years uh, has been quite challenging for agriculture because uh, yeah the productivity the return on investment is simply not there and which is what every farmer sees you know it looks like on the from the outside it seems that agriculture is such a noble profession from the inside it is a sad commentary that uh, that uh, 40% of farmers want to quit agriculture but they can't because there's no option 70% want don't want their children to take up agriculture but most of them have little option but to continue in agriculture and which you see that we have um, 15 16 17% of gdp today coming from agriculture but we have almost 50% of the population and the workforce dependent uh, largely on agriculture so which is a recipe for a crisis and uh, that's where we are in that uh, that these people have little option and which is what one of my key areas and how i got involved in this issue is because not so much because of agriculture as such because i believe that this problem of agriculture is directly related to india's problem outside of agriculture because you know it's very easy to say that farmers can uh, farmers children can get an education and leave but many farmers have educated their children far beyond uh, what was possible a generation ago yet the options available are so few as we all know that india's growth story in the last 30 years have been Uh, almost jobless growth and uh, while liberalization has opened new opportunities for sure but given the scale of our workforce those uh, economic opportunities and economic liberalization uh, in the last three decades have not really produced the scale of jobs non farm jobs that would make it possible for these people to leave but how do you explain this varun i mean we've got record outputs all the time yet the indian farmer remains poor yet agriculture remains an unsustainable profession almost i think you know it's uh, it's it's uh, the law of supply and demand in economics that we have surplus supply and the demand is not there because one it can a lot of the food grains particularly cannot be distributed adequately to people who need it and secondly because there is still substantial poverty remaining therefore the pure and lack of economic opportunities from non farm incomes which means people capacity to buy from the market is that much lower 
I mean, surely things have improved enormously in the last 50 years, but it is still nowhere near what people are aspiring to see. And when we have oversupply, the prices are going to stagnate and fall. So what, what you're saying really is that the problem is not at the farming stage, but what happens after that? Yeah, it is primarily that because what's happening after farming, after the production is where, the, in my view, the crux of the problem is that if our liberalization had really led to, to uh, uh, opening up employment opportunities in a massive scale, then... Uh, much of this problem in agriculture would have been mitigated as China has done and many other developing countries have done before. That uh, that millions could move out of agriculture as a matter of routine because they have adequate opportunities elsewhere. But the problem is not just in, you know, problem is not just at that end, that the non-farm opportunities are not emerging. The problem also is that because of the mindset and the regulatory framework that we continue to retain despite all talks of liberalization that agro processing and value addition has hardly picked up i remember this there was a separate ministry a department created by the central government in the 1980s to promote agro processing i mean 40 years down the road we are virtually where we were there. Well, this is a good time to segue to the new farm laws because many of the problems that you are referring to the government claims that the new farm laws can lick uh, however that doesn't seem to be a very convincing point in farmers and they come out in protests across the country so uh, you know let's talk about them why are they such a problem the intention perhaps and the claims were in that direction that how do we open up our trade uh, allow more investment and logistics to develop so that uh, value addition and the marketing uh, networks would expand. And therefore, the farmers as well as consumers would be better off. I mean, that I'm sure is the, is the intention. Uh, and everyone would like that to happen if it, if it did happen that way. But the problem is, it see, uh, um, is, you know, in, in a sense, twofold. One is, of course, the context that, uh, that is the processes and the legal constitutional dimensions of these laws. But the other is, which we can discuss uh, 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 later, but the other point is particularly regarding to the laws. For instance, um, you know, one of the laws, one of the three laws talks about opening the agriculture market and uh, limiting the scope of the current market setup, which is the APMCs, that is uh, Agricultural Produce Marketing Committees, which are at the state, which are under state laws and are created at the, and exist at the district and uh, lower levels. There are a few thousands of such APMC uh, markets across the country today. I mean, six, seven thousand, I think. But uh, what, what this law seems to ignore is that while they're talking of that uh, APMCs, because of their legal monopolies in their jurisdiction, because of cartelization and collusion and corruption, uh, farmers do not get adequate value and uh, APMCs do not provide adequate services to the farmers in terms of storage and separation and things of that kind. But, uh, but the fact is that almost 75% of our farm produce do not actually, farmers do not take them to the APMC market. Because, you know, as you know, I mean, 80% or 85% of our farmers are small and marginal. 
most of them do not really produce in adequate quantity to take it to APFC market. So 75% of what farmers produce are sold at the local village level, either by other traders who sell it in the, in the vicinity or by uh, uh, larger aggregators who buy from these various local markets to take it to the APMCs and sell it there. Therefore, 75% of the farmers are not even accessing these APMCs. Therefore, the question would be, how do we make that happen? Uh, the current law believes or aims that by limiting the scope of APMCs, that is taking away their legal monopoly in their jurisdiction, more private markets could be created and therefore farmers would have more opportunities. But uh, that is, uh, it seems, uh, less said than, than done. I mean, more said than done. Because uh, there are states which have already been toying with this idea for the last few years. For instance, Bihar abolished APMC in uh, 2006. There's hardly any evidence that private markets and investments have gone there. And some other states, particularly in the South, have tried to create uh, private markets. Uh, and but their scale and scope have really not expanded because markets are more than just a place where buyers and traders gather. Markets are places for exchange of information. Markets are places for building relationships. Markets are, uh, rely hugely on the credibility and the reputation of the players, uh, both on the farmer side and on the trader side. And these take time to develop. It's not that you suddenly open a market and people will come. It doesn't happen that way. And therefore, this law, by aiming to do it in this manner, has only opened up uh, Pandora's box because uh, people haven't seen how these things work on the ground and whatever little evidence they have, they don't work in this manner. And the law seems to be obvious that 75% that don't use APMC market, but the law focuses on those APMC markets. Yeah. I think one of the other hot button topics was uh, the minimum support price, better known as MSP. Uh, could you quickly explain to listeners what exactly is MSP and why is it so important to farmers? You know, MSP came up in the in the early stages in the 1950s and 60s because uh, then our production, uh, agricultural produce, particularly food grains, were in short supply. We were suffering from enormous scarcity. Every few years, there would be almost famine-like situations. And uh, therefore, MSP was clear, was kind of instituted in order to incentivize production. And to a large extent, it worked because today we are surplus in rice and wheat. But the problem with MSP is that uh, MSP incentivizes production, but it doesn't reflect the, the level of the demand. And therefore, we tend to overproduce in, in some commodities and not adequate in other commodities where MSPs either don't apply or are not implemented. Because as it is operational today, the minimum support price operates uh, or these, uh, you know, the central government announces minimum support price uh, for about 23, 24 crops every year, some during the Kharif season, that is the monsoon uh, production. And some during the rubby season, that's the winter crop. And uh, of these 23, 24 items for which the government uh, declares MSP, typically it procures only five or six in really significant scale. And rice and wheat is 80% of that. 
and they have, which means that MSPs are merely statements of intentions rather than realities on the on the ground. Sure, and I, I just like to point out to the viewers who may not be aware what MSP is. MSP is the uh, price at which the government procures crops from the farmers uh, and acts as a sort of a uh, you know market uh, rate fixer, almost so to speak. I don't use the word fixer in a negative way here. It's essentially a way of ensuring a good rate of return to the market, to the farmer rather. Yes, in a sense that, you know, it, it is minimum support price. That is, it is it has a complex formula to calculate that the cost of production plus something, that is what the minimum product, uh, the farmer should re receive. Many times, in uh, quite a few crops, the MSP is maybe irrelevant because, uh, because the market price at a given time may be higher than MSP. But many other times, the MSP acts as a flow, yes. or is supposed Absolutely. to act as a flow. But it can act as a flow only if somebody assures that they are there to maintain the flow. Right. And one of the fears, I think, with the new farm laws is that uh, this is the first step towards removing that flow and thus uh, putting uh, putting the farmer at the mercy of the market, so to speak. You know, this is this is where I think principally the lack of trust regarding this law becomes manifest. Because the law itself doesn't deal any say anything about uh, MSP as such, and the government, in its assurance, have said that the MSPs and the APMCs will continue. But the fear remains because the way the law has come about doesn't inspire that confidence. Because the government had a few years ago in a report had said that that the distortions of MSPs have to be dealt with, and which is true, the distortions of MSPs need to be dealt with. But how it is being it is to be dealt with, and there has been very little consultation, discussion, trust building that is necessary to ensure a transition from an existing system to the to a better and a newer one. And that has not happened. So therefore, the fear is, I believe, is primarily because of the context of the current bills rather than anything particular related to the bills. Sure. I think one of the fears, uh, you know, Barun has been, uh, we keep hearing that they fear a takeover by corporations and what exactly do farmers mean when they say they fear a corporate takeover and also if you could explain very quickly how does this exactly impact the common citizen what happens if uh, there's a large-scale corporate influence in farming uh, this is not just in the case of the apmc and the market thing this is this seems to be more prominent i mean like msp is a clear uh, uh, contentious issue in case of this law regarding market reform and dilution of apmc Whereas this particular corporatization is the fear seems to be more in the in another of the three laws, the second of the three laws, so to say, which deals with contract farming. Uh, that is, companies could um, or any entity for that matter doesn't have to be company uh, could directly negotiate with farmers and uh, uh, come to a contract and uh, transact it. There are two issues to it. Uh, one is um, that because of the small, the, the fragmented nature of our agriculture, like in the case of market, where are the companies that would actually enter into negotiating with uh, farmers, given the small scale of, our, of most of our farmers, 80%, 85% are small and marginal. So which company can actually, or how many companies can actually negotiate with farmers? And secondly, the question is, uh, uh, the reason why, again, the lack of trust issue has come is because, firstly, farmers have little experience to negotiate with third parties because all their lives they have been negotiating with people they know. 
know that's where the local trust and the credibility and the reputation sort of concern and are valid criteria by which farmers and traders decide whom to trade and where to trade and how to trade but companies are kind of non personal entities and therefore who is the face and what's the relevance of the face because the face may change and secondly the issue the specific issue regarding the contract farming that has created a problem is that that unlike a normal contract which which in case of dispute can go through the judicial process and come to some kind of a resolution right the law right. itself is currently the new law is stipulating that the disputes will be taken to a specially designated courts at the sdm level and will be settled at the district level itself now this is really strange because there is hardly a law in india that says that that can't be taken to a court of law you know that is a normal court a district court or a high court or even the supreme court and this is strange to say the least and this gives has raised or raised this fear because in any any corporate contracting situation it is very likely that the company or whichever entity is, in, is entering into the contract would be much larger would be more much more resourceful than the smaller farmer and therefore there is an initial um, difference uh, in uh, in relationship between the two the relationship is not exactly between equal sure i think what you are saying then, is that uh, in case of disputes uh, it could uh, be a really lopsided fight in favor of the corporation right. rather than the farmers right. exactly exactly and this has this has i think again you know like like with the case of msp this is again another instance of the trust deficit because of the processes through which this kind of laws were brought in rather than in the normal process this kind of changes could have been brought about because uh, yeah uh, because you know again like exactly like with the market reform 75% of indian farmers do not sell at the at the registered mandis because they sell locally to local trade similarly right. two thirds of indian uh, indian agriculture today is under some kind of contract right. you know i mean which means the indian farmers are neither accustomed to uh, they are they are quite used to dealing with traders and and uh, signing contracts or agreeing on informal contracts because most of these contracts are informal uh, at the village level within families within traders within uh, with money lenders or whatever their relationships are and and sure. uh, and sure. whatever disputes arise tend to get settled at the local level because both the parties are known to each other so there is a tremendous community pressure to try and ensure that the majority of the disputes are settled locally what surprises me is that despite the intention of the government in enacting these laws they seem to have completely ignored the ground reality and therefore have given rise to these kind of avoidable debates and uh, doubts regarding the credentials of the or the credibility of the government when it brings in such legislation because the government seems to be oblivious that two thirds of our farmers for agriculture is under right. some kind of contract so you know since you spoke about doubts i mean one of the uh, doubts that was raised is uh, you know this whole removal of the cap on stock holdings of essentials what that means is that companies can store huge amounts of essentials food grain or vegetables or whatever and release them in a manner that they see fit into the market could you explain to the common viewer why this is a worry yeah so this is the third or third law part i mean largely that is we have another law from the essential commodities act another vintage from the from the early days of the indian republic and um, it sought 
to it actually sought to answer the question that you just raised that how do we given the given the in, uh, inequality between the traders and the farmers and the consumers uh, essential commodities act would try to ensure that the traders do not exercise undue uh, power influence over either the trader either the farmer or the consumer and therefore the limit on stock that how much can you hold at what time for what purpose etc but this has become like the democrat's claw sword over the over agriculture and, and traders as such because this has been used and abused so much over the years and decades that the, this feature of the essential commodities act is singularly responsible for lack of investment in development of logistics storage etc uh, on the ground level because uh, if if the storage can be questioned at any time then who is going to risk investment in building storage and logistics and it has been one of the one of the problem that has been recognized at least 20 30 years ago that this is a problem that needs to be dealt with but the best way of dealing with this problem like in most other countries is by liberalizing trade so that traders do not exercise undue influence and or power sure but what does it mean for the common citizen if a corporation can hold huge amounts of essentials and release them in the manner that it see, it sees fit why is this a worry for the common citizen it is you know for the uh, for the common citizen the worry is that the the corporations would wield undue power over them by releasing the uh, releasing the produced items into the market as it deems fit according to its economic calculation rather than accord as per the requirements of the consumer but this issue is typically dealt with by a free trade regime that is there is no reason for anyone to hold or 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 uh, stockpile unduly because there would always be other traders who are competing in the same market uh, domestically as well as from the international market who can supply the market which is why you don't see this kind of situation that that uh, that frequently crops up in india that is because you know that is the root of this problem lies not so much in regulating storage but in understanding why do such situations develop such situations develop precisely because the trade is restricted and agriculture as you know you know agriculture is not an industrial product that is it doesn't it is not produced on a weekly schedule like a maruti car can be produced it happens as per a seasonal schedule and the seasons have factors which are beyond control such as weather etc sure. but uh, you know this again i just want to come back to this stockpiling bit could you very quickly in a couple of sentences maybe explain what is the impact on prices that can happen in such a situation this is what what happens when i go to the market and try to buy vegetables in such a situation you know the stock like i said that the stockpile issue can influ- have an influence on prices provided and it is a big provider provision provided they are assured that the market will not be able to respond that is other traders will not be able to respond now if those tra- if uh, if the market is free and open and traders are competing then and competing not just domestically across the country as such and we are a large country but also internationally then the question of question of anyone being able to make a windfall profit because they are able to store is not there our problem is and which is what the problem that farmers and the consumers fear that because we have particularly in agriculture we have a relatively restricted market 
as we know, you know, as, as we have all seen that when the price of uh, potato in some district is 2 rupees, the price in Delhi or Mumbai can be 20 rupees, right? Now, this is not because of, because of anyone storing extra. It is because our supply chain and uh, transport logistics are so poor that the cost variably escalates. Now, the question is, in order to improve on that, we need investment in the logistics and the storage. But that investment is will work effectively and competitively only if that the trade routes are kept open. For instance, I'll give you an example that happened, which happens every year now for the last 10 years or more. That is a, a question of onion. You know, I mean, the onion prices go up and the government imposes various restrictions. Typically, in September, October, the government imposes ban on export and again opens it up in January, February when the next lot of uh, harvest comes in. Now, it's interesting that we are actually a surplus in onion. Yet, we have this paradox that, you know, we have a surplus. Our annual production is almost a third more than our domestic consumption. But because it's an agricultural produce, it happens seasonally. Typically, there are three seasons for agricultural produce. But because of the extremely poor storage capacity, and therefore the transport and logistics, it, is, it takes huge effort to move and hold. And some varieties of onions cannot be stored without really good storage facilities. And therefore, therefore, in order to improve those, we need the investment here. But which means that if you have an answer, if, if the traders and the investors see that, that the trade route will be, ad, will be controlled in an ad hoc manner, then this investment will not come. That is exactly what has been happening for last 20 years in onion because, uh, you know, the onions became a flagship for Indian elections since the 1980s. And therefore, every government fears when the, when the price of onions uh, goes up. But it goes up every year. And every year we have the same drama of restricting export. Uh, and the paradox is that which you can see that this year for the last three years, in, while we are restricting export for six months in a year, we have an import duty of 30%. Why do you have that import duty if you have a shortage? You know, this is what is giving an undue advantage to some traders who are able to manipulate the and manipulate their stock and therefore the market. If we didn't have this kind of ad hoc restriction, then like in any product, you know, like in case of our mobile phone, most of our mobile phones are not manufactured in India. They come from abroad. But there is no seasonality to it and they come at the same price that they are sold here uh, with the domestic one. No, so there, 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 there is no, there's not much of a price difference and companies, brands, they compete and they sell to the consumers whatever they prefer. Now, in case of agriculture, repeatedly, we have either restricted uh, export, restricted imports or restricted domestic trade. For instance, if you remember a few years ago, I think two years ago, there was a, there was a price escalation in, in case of potatoes. And some states said that they would not allow potatoes to leave their state. That is a recipe for creating a crisis. Now, that crisis can only be dealt with and that the need for that kind of ad hoc responses would not be there if our agricultural market was integrated with the world market. Because in no other country, at least major economies I know of, where prices of onions and potatoes, which are semi-perishable, fluctuate 100 200% within a year. In fact, more. You know, nowhere. Why does it happen? It happens precisely because we are simply breaking up our trade routes. The farmers would be better off if the trade was open and the prices were predictable. Consumers would be better off because they would then have a table price uh, price at their retail outlets rather than 10 rupees one day and 40 rupees two months down the road. 
you know, so these variations is what is this this variation, the uncertainty over the variations, the price fluctuation are causing the hardship for the consumer and causing uncertainty for the for the farmer. Right. Well, actually, this is a very good point to break off uh, for part one. Uh, we will continue this very, very special conversation in part two. In the meantime, please visit uh, www.allindiansmatter.in for more columns, videos, and audio podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashraf Engineer. That's A-S-H-R-A-F-E-N-G-I-N-W-E-R. And All Indians Count. That's A-L-L-I-N-D-I-A-N-S-C-O-U-N-T. Search for the All Indians Matter page on Facebook, on Instagram. The handle is All Indians Matter. Catch you again in part two. Idea Blue Studios.